Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And welcome to the new year. Yes, welcome. And welcome to the show. Today we're talking about Black Eyed Peas. Not the band. Not the band. Too much. Probably obviously not the well, band. Well, but... <laughs> In case anyone thought we made some weird New Year's resolution. Sharp turn. No. <laughs> I like that we're entering the new decade with black-eyed peas. Me too. Yes. It, it's, a, it's a southern tradition. It um, is. To eat black-eyed peas on New Year's Day. Yes. A while back we did an episode around the traditional southern New Year's meal, which is generally some type of pork, greens, uh, black-eyed peas, and cornbread. And... These all represent basically luck and money sure. in the coming year. And there's a chance I'm eating this right now as you listen. <laughs> I've already got it all ready to go. I just have to cook it. Uh, I love black-eyed peas, but this is literally the only time of year I eat them. Really? And it kind of bumps me out. I don't know. I should eat them more. You should eat them more. They're available. I know. They're not available like fresh. It's true. Other times of year. I've actually only cooked them fresh once in my lifetime. Yeah? Did, how would you feel about it? It was good. I'm somebody who uh, scoffs at soaking things. Oh. 
And You're you had to soak them. Soak scoffer, I see. I, I'm a soak scoffer, but <laughs> I didn't want to do it. I'm lazy, essentially. So the cans are easier, but they were really good. I just didn't like the soaking part. Uh, well, it brings back memories of the the <laughs> butter beans, and I don't like thinking about that. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know about my butter bean drama, that's okay. But I got some <laughs> built up memories there. That's uh, all that blanching. It's hard. It's hard, and it hurts. <laughs> It hurt. I probably just wasn't doing it correctly, but that's okay. Uh, but, the, okay, the black-eyed peas in this southern traditional New Year's meal is supposed to represent luck, or that's what it was in my family. I, I hear most other people think it's, like, coins. Coins, yeah, because it's got the little right, circle exactly. on them. Right, exactly. And they're sure. coin shape, I suppose. I don't think that beans are in any way shaped like coins, but that's that's a—you'd have to be squinting pretty hard. I feel like I played at least one video game where you pay with for things with coins, not <laughs> with coins, with beans, <laughs> with beans. Uh, yeah, no. The, uh, apparently, the the saying is peas for pennies, greens for dollars, and cornbread for gold. Yes, um, <laughs> and we bought into it when we were children. This is how my mom. I was all about it, but my my brothers don't like either collards, which is what we normally had, or black eyed peas, but they ate them. Because they believed. In the luck. Or at least they didn't want to risk it Uh, if uh. it wasn't true. (laughs) But okay, I guess that brings us to our question. Mm -hmm. Black Eyed Peas. What are they? It turns out they go by a lot of different names. For one, we're mixing it up all. (laughs) I'm coming in with some angry response. (laughs) Because as we were doing the research for this, I saw cow peas, crowder peas, southern peas, field peas, or long beans, asparagus beans, or yard long beans. <laughs> Too many names. Pick a lane. Uh, yeah. Well, n- no matter what you call them, uh, black-eyed peas are—they're uh, not peas. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they do share the same family, the legume family, but black-eyed peas are a species of bean. And I have it here, and I couldn't find a pronunciation. I'm going to try Vigna unguiculata. Yeah. Sure. Let's call it that. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, yeah, that's, that, that is the exact species. And to be even more exact, they are a subspecies that has particular markings. Um, when mature and dried, this bean is, is a small white to cream colored thing with a inky black, brown, or purple ring seemingly just stamped right at the top. Or, or like if you think of a bean as sort of like a blunt heart shape mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, it's like right at the apex of the heart. Oh Yeah. <laughs> so much nicer than saying kidney shaped. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Why don't we do that? Right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, related beans can come in other colors, uh, red to brown to black to speckled, multicolored to just cream without the spot, um, and are sometimes called by some of those same names. <sighs> Too many. Humans. Mm-hmm. Get it together. Come on. <laughs> Uh, the beans grow in these uh, long, skinny, lumpy pods, and uh, in some places, the pods are eaten while they're still green, and the beans are immature, like like snap beans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sometimes the mature but still tender beans are shelled and cooked up fresh, and sometimes the beans are dried, which means they uh, need to be soaked to rehydrate before cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be okay. <laughs> Uh, the leaves are also edible, uh, sim- similar to spinach. Oh, really? Yeah, huh. yeah. And that dark ring is um, around the the area that's that's c- like the bean's belly button. It, it marks where it was attached to the inside of the pod. Oh, huh. Yeah. 
Apparently in France, they were originally called moguettes, the French word for nun, because the black spot reminded some of how nuns dressed. Oh. I don't really (laughs) see it, but uh, okay. Yeah, maybe like the hat, like the little headwear-wimple combo? (laughs) Maybe. I'm not sure. Anyway. I, I like it. Uh, the beans will dry out naturally on the vine. They are self-preserving. Um, once dried, they are really sturdy. They can last at least 200 years in this state and still be planted and sprouted afterward. 200 years? I know, at least. Research is ongoing. They're just waiting it out? (laughs) I'm not sure. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this was evolutionarily useful because um, if the weather's too dry for new plants to grow, the beans, which are, you know, like the the fruit seed combo of the plant, could just hang out and wait until rain came again. Dang. Yeah. That's impressive. The cow pea family is a warm climate crop grown mostly in tropical to subtropical regions because it will not tolerate frost, Um, but it is really hardy. It's uh, resistant to drought and pests. They're also good to plant alongside other crops. They're shade resistant and can crowd out weeds. Crowder, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, They only take about two to two and a half months to reach maturity. So if you are in a warm climate, you can get a good crop pretty late in the year. Oh, nice. Perhaps harvesting them somewhere in December. Yes. Strange. Mm -hmm. Um, And although commercial operations may harvest them mechanically, they're pretty easy to shell by hand. They're just all around like a really agreeable plant. I like it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Uh, And beans in general are a valuable crop because they, um, they A, have like a lot of protein for vegetation, um, and B, grow with symbiotic bacteria in their roots. So like the plant and bacteria team up to pull nitrogen from the air. The plant takes in the air that has the nitrogen that it, it can't use. Um, but uh, but the bacteria will fix it in the soil where the plants can soak it up through their roots. Oh. <laughs> it's a whole process. <laughs> it is. Um, and most plants can't do this. So, um, so anything the beans don't get to use gets left in the soil after the crop is harvested and can be used by the next crop that gets planted there. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Very impressive. Uh-huh. What about the nutrition? Uh, yeah, yeah, that protein thing. Um, they're up to 25% protein by weight. Wow. They're low in fat, high in fiber, have a punch of carbs, and contain just an absolute heck ton of minerals, a smattering of vitamins like thiamine and folate. They will definitely fill you up and keep you going pretty well, um, especially if you pair them with a little bit more fat and veg. Like the traditional New Year's Exactly. Meal. Wow. Perfect. We were onto something. <laughs> Oh, uh, and a side note about why beans are, in fact, the musical fruit. Finally, <laughs> get to the bottom of this. I've been wondering since, since elementary school. All right, so some of those carbs they contain are, are sugars that we humans, uh, like all other mammals, do not have the enzymes to break down in our digestive system. But the bacteria in our guts sure do have those enzymes, so... The sugars pass into our guts. The bacteria there eat them and excrete carbon dioxide, methane, and a few other gases. And we pass those gases. So the moral of the story is, A, everybody farts. Mm -hmm. um, And B, uh, discard the slime around canned beans um, and the soaking water for dried beans and maybe like the cooking water for dried beans too if you want to be like super careful because the sugars will wash out Uh if you discard the soaking water. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you never know what you're going to learn <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> Just in time, too. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, let's look at some numbers. Yeah. Nigeria is the world's top producer of black-eyed peas. They are also the world's top consumer and importer of the crop. Mm -hmm. In 2016, the United States Agency for International Development found that the average Nigerian consumes 18 kilograms of black-eyed peas, the average Ghanaian 9 kilograms, and 1.8 kilograms per person in Cote d'Ivoire. Of the annual 5.4 million tons of black-eyed peas produced, 96% come from Africa, with Nigeria making up 61% of that number and 58% globally. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Black-eyed peas are popular in dishes in Africa, particularly West Africa, India, Myanmar, Brazil, the Caribbean, and the southern United States. They feature prominently in things like Hop and John, more on that later, and in Brazil, peeled and mashed black-eyed peas then fermented overnight and fried in palm oil are a popular street food. Nigeria has pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. In Africa, they are part of the daily diets of millions of people. They might be boiled and eaten with rice and or fried tomatoes and onions and plantains. Sometimes they are ground up into flour, later made into porridge. Some places in sub-Saharan Africa label this crop miracle peas or poor man's meat due to their ability to weather tough conditions and their nutritional profile. Uh, Yeah, I've read that in sub-Saharan Africa as a whole, they are the primary source of protein in people's diets. Wow. Mm -hmm. Because of its significance in the diets of so many, the International Institute of Tropical Agriculture is experimenting with varieties of black-eyed peas that produce higher yields or are resistant to pest. As of now, IITA boasts the world's largest and most diverse bank of black-eyed peas, 15,122 unique samples from 88 countries. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. Yeah. Um, uh, England's Royal Botanical Gardens, Kew, has a science arm that also works on seed collection. And the black-eyed pea is one of 29 crops that they have deemed a potential savior of our future food security. They thus also have a collection of not just cultivated varietals of black-eyed peas, but also their cousins that grow in the wild. See, you didn't think that the black-eyed pea was, was going to be a good start to the decade. <laughs> But look at this. <laughs> it is. It is. When it comes to their place as a representation of luck in the Southern New Year's Meal, or coins, what have you, most food historians think it has to do with humility. As one saying goes, eat poor on New Year's and eat fat the rest of the year. Or it could be as simple as they kind of look like coins, like we said. Uh, that's what I always assume personally. And I guess having mo- money is lucky. <laughs> it's fortunate, for sure. Sure. <laughs> um, sort of related, some think it's because when cooked, the volume of black-eyed peas substantially increases, making it hopefully a representation of wealth and abundance increasing. One of, uh, one of my favorite food blogs, Botanist in the Kitchen, wrote about black-eyed peas, quote, Just like optimism, beans are cheap enough that anyone can have them. I love that. I know. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned in our New Year's Traditions episode, there are even more specific traditions around black-eyed peas. One goes that you have to eat them before noon on New Year's Day to benefit from the luck and more money. 1201. It's like like gremlins. You you can't eat them after noon. That's probably where the plot of gremlins came from now that I think about Mm -hmm. it. Um, another goes that you have to count out 365 or 366 of black-eyed peas, one for each day of the coming year. No thank you. That sounds like a lot more counting than I generally care to do. I did used to really like counting. Yeah? When I was a kid, I liked to count. And I won a lot of contests that way. <laughs> like oh. like guess how many? Yeah. Oh, I'm really good at those. <laughs> Maybe I should count. Oh, okay. Maybe I will. 
Um, I've, I've seen black eyed bees referred to as poor man's caviar in the South or Texas caviar. Mm-hmm. And thinking about it too, most of these lucky Southern foods are ones that do grow during tough winter months, aka around New Year's. And as we've said before, pre-refrigeration, people frequently slaughtered their pigs before winter and salted the pork to make it through the season. So, so it kind of just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. Delicious sense. Delicious, delicious sense. And there's a pun there. There's a pun. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> let's move on from bad puns and talk about some history. Yes, but first, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. (laughs) I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, 
you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM, let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Black-eyed peas most likely originated in Africa or possibly Asia. Probably Africa. Probably. It's still debated because Mm -hmm. their taxonomic name suggests they are from Asia, but records seem to indicate they were growing in the wild in Africa prior to their existence in Asia. As always, we know that the names of things can't always be trusted. Oh, absolutely. Yes. But yeah, different people at different times have thought Asia, Africa, mysteries, history. Mm Mm-hmm. They were domesticated in West Africa at least 5,000 years ago, and they've been cultivated since prehistoric times in tropical Asia, and especially in what is now India. Ancient China grew them, too. They are related to the Hmong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of our interviewees from New Orleans, Dr. Jessica B. Harris, wrote an article over at the New York Times about the history of black-eyed peas that was super helpful for all of us. Totally go check it out if you're interested. She also has a lot of books that oh, yeah. I, we highly recommend yes. about all kinds of this stuff, all kinds of stuff that we're talking about. Um, ancient Greeks and Romans preferred the black-eyed pea to the chickpea. Apparently. Apparently. Interestingly, black-eyed peas have been considered a lucky food to eat on New Year's for a long time, at least as far back as 500 CE when the Talmud mentioned the eating of black-eyed peas for Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Hmm. Some historians believe that Sephardic Jews brought this tradition with them when they immigrated to the United States, and records put the first wave of Sephardic Jews in Georgia by the 1730s. This is around the same time records of black-eyed peas suggest that they were plentiful in that area, enough so people started calling them field peas. The name cow peas also popped up around this time. Allegedly, they got their name because of their association as animal feed, particularly for cows. There you go. But that's one version. (laughs) These names, cow pea and field pea, could have originated much earlier with the common practice in Africa of planting the peas along the border of fields to help manage the weed population, fortify the soil, and the stems and leaves gave cows something to snack on. Yeah, uh, the leaves and pods are considered like a really good livestock snack. Mm, sounds good. <laughs> I don't know why. I, the leaves, I, I love eating leaves. <laughs> it's just a weird thing to say, but I love that every time we find out, oh, you could actually you can, eat the leaves of this. Yeah. That is I'm like, oh, exciting. really? I know. Right? Yeah. All right. Oh, and also, some accounts suggest that Egyptian pharaohs ate black-eyed peas to grant them humility. Okay. So, yeah. Hmm, who knows? The black-eyed pea arrived to the New World from West Africa as part of the slave trade, perhaps arriving to the West Indies first and then migrating through the American South. The first written records put the black-eyed pea in the Americas by 1674. One historian wrote, quoted from Dr. Harris's article, Everywhere African slaves arrived in substantial numbers, cow peas followed. Prior to the Revolutionary War, they became one of South Carolina's biggest cash crops. And while they were at first relegated as a food for the enslaved, poor white people, or as animal feed, they did start to make their way into the diets of middle and upper class Americans. Mary Randolph's 1824 version of the Virginia Housewife featured a recipe of fried field pea patties. Hmm. Yeah. As with most Southern foods, several accounts of the traditional Southern New Year's meal posit that it spread during the Civil War. 
after Union soldiers plundered Confederate food supplies but left behind the pork and the peas, believing that they were animal feed, um, or in the case of the pork, salted pork, they might not have really cared to have it. In popular retellings of this version of events, Confederate soldiers felt lucky to have access to these foods when provisions were scarce, especially during the winter. Yet another story posits that black-eyed peas represent the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. The first New Year's after the Civil War ended was the date they were officially granted freedom. Some records suggest that some men even put black-eyed peas in their wallets for prosperity. Yeah, keep the money next to the money. Of course. Sure. Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) The Creole people added black-eyed peas, rice, and pickled pork to make a dish called jambalaya okongri. Congri meaning black-eyed peas. Thomas Jefferson planted the peas at Monticello. I feel like he planted everything at Monticello. What did he plant? Gosh. That is a question for a future episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. When it comes to Hoppin' John, sometimes called Happy John specifically, and this is an American Southern dish of black-eyed peas, rice, often pork or a ham bone, and definitely seasoning, although there are a lot of versions of it. A lot, a lot, a lot. If you aren't familiar. Um, historians agree that its roots go back to West African dishes composed of rice and black-eyed peas. Dishes similar to Hop and John are made in parts of Africa to this day. Records show the dish was a staple among enslaved people in the southern U.S., particularly in the Gullah country of South Carolina. Rice and black-eyed peas were both cash crops in that area. Still, others posit the dish might be Islamic in origin, since Senegalese and Nigerian Muslims have a similar dish, swapping out the pork for jerked beef. Recipes for the dish started appearing in early 20th century American cookbooks. Didn't we... Now that I think about it, didn't we have some Hoppin' John when we were in uh, Asheville? Yes, yes. It was part of the very first meal that we had when we got up there at the Sierra Nevada Brewery. That's right. Yeah, and it was a very, very fancy Hoppin' John dish. It was the best $19 I've ever (laughs) spent on Hoppin' John. It was good. It was really good. Huh, because I was about to say, I can't remember the last time I had it, but that was it. All right, cool. Speculation abounds about the origin of the name. One points to the old expression, hop in, John, used to invite guests over for a meal. Yet another describes a hilarious and probably not real tradition (laughs) where children would hop around the table once before digging into this dish. Oh, that sounds like a thing I would would have done when I was a kid. Yeah. If if someone had told me, this is lucky, do it. I would have been like, this is an excuse to wreak some havoc in this kitchen. Okay. Because when I read it, I thought... (laughs) <laughs> but you're right. Maybe kids are kids like any any reason to hop around, Truth. I suppose. <laughs> In his 1981 book, Rice and Beans, the itinerary of a recipe, John Thorne theorized that the name Hop and John was a corruption from the French poil pigeon, pigeon peas. Pigeon peas didn't really take off in the southern U- United States, but they did in the Caribbean. So the term might have resulted from some confusion. It seems like a big leap. I don't know. I can hear the John and Pigeon. Pigeon, sure, yeah. Oh, who knows? Yeah. If we do it, we can, but <laughs> mysteries, histories all the time. From a 1913 Chicago Tribune article called Secret of Hopping John Out, Recipe Told for the Dixie Dish. <laughs> the secret of Hopping John is out, and they do put the G at the end. They do. <laughs> <laughs> the composition of this famous southern dish about which successive generations of the cooks of Dixie have thrown a veil of mystery has been disclosed by an investigation conducted by the Department of Agriculture. <laughs> 
and is given to the world in Farmer's Bulletin number 509. Issued today. Not 509. 509. Gosh. This is the recipe guaranteed by the government for the production of the true Hoppin' John. Soak one quart of dried cowpeas overnight in water enough to cover. Cook until they are tender, adding more water if necessary. Cook a pint of rice in three pints of water. Mix the two. Season with two tablespoons of butter and two teaspoonfuls of salt. A little beef or pork may be added to the water in which the peas are cooked. Then the bulletin proceeds to sing the virtues of cow peas in general, which the government opines ought to be better known north of the Mason and Dixon line. That is, that's wonderful. It's so funny. <laughs> Especially because, yes, they definitely call it Hopping John. Yes, this <laughs> mysterious southern dish. Oh, man. <laughs> In the first few decades of the 20th century, black-eyed peas and their cousins were the most popular legume for livestock feed in the United States. Um, That all started changing um, with the introduction of soybeans, and I think the flip happened in the 1930s where soybeans uh, uh, took over. Um, And then later with a pest that started blighting southern pea crops, this this weevil that just wreaks havoc on black-eyed peas. Um, So production here in the States is much smaller now than it was um, at the beginning of the 20th century, and uh, mostly for human consumption and is still troubled by this weevil. I read weevil. that a lot of a lot of Georgia growers are really having problems. Weevil problems. Didn't we see a giant statue of a weevil? We did. It was real weird. <laughs> but kind of wonderful. But kind of wonderful. Yeah, that, that was on our uh, field trip to Dothan, Alabama. Future episode about peanuts. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, but now we got to talk about a very important event. We do. In Los Angeles in 1995, one Will I Am Apple Dap, or perhaps it's A P L D E A P with dots in between. We're we're a little behind the time. We're a little we're a little two thousand and late. We are we are. Yeah. Jamie Gomez, aka Taboo, and Kim Hill formed a little group called Black Eyed Pods. What? Yep. Later renamed the Black Eyed Peas. Oh. If you're wondering why they chose that name, Will I Am once said that black-eyed peas are food for the soul, while also citing the red hot chili peppers as an influence and okay. saying he wanted to name the band after a food like them. Aw. Black-eyed peas. Huh. <laughs> Uh, the beans enjoyed a moment in the sun when the UN's uh, Food and Agriculture Organization named 2016 the International Year of Pulses. Which is another word for dried beans, like black-eyed peas. Oh, okay. It's mm. like, I like pulses. Yeah. It's good. Pulses are great. Yeah, mm. I enjoy having one. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> As of 2019, scientists at UC Riverside decoded the genome of the black-eyed pea in hopes of feeding the world's growing population, especially as the effects of climate change become more apparent. Understanding the black-eyed peas' toughness could help toughen up other crops as well. It's one of only a handful of other crops to be completely sequenced. And they contain about 37,000 genes, so it's impressive work. That is impressive work. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the research continues. Uh, Farmers and scientists are looking at different varieties of black-eyed peas to find winning traits, you know, a particular resistance to drought or tolerance to pests, diseases, and competing weeds. In general, um, less research of this type has been done with this bean than other sustenance crops like corn or rice or wheat or potatoes, basically because black-eyed peas are less finicky. Um, But yeah, as with any crop, developing varieties that are even hardier and more productive would help farmers out, which helps everybody out. 
There you go. Mm -hmm. It's exciting stuff. It is. I'm feeling inspired. Me too. This was, I I had no idea what we were in for when we started doing this research, and it turned out to be more more delightful than I thought. I feel like that happens with everything we do, and that's one of my favorite things of the job. <sighs> Me too. There's always some weird fact about bacteria farts <laughs> that I'm just like, well, this has made it all worthwhile. <laughs> everything. <laughs> this is a good way to start the year. It is. <laughs> And we hope that some of you, at the very least, found this as entertaining as we did. But maybe you're having some black eyed peas or maybe you're you're convinced to go get them now. Yeah. Yes. But we do have a little bit more for you. We do. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. 
Visit TomboyX.com. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener Mail. Dun, 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 dun. God, I was so into that song when it first came out. Yeah. But it has been a very long time. It's been a minute, a minute or two at least. At least. <laughs> Sarah wrote, <laughs> in the end of the candy cane episode, you said you liked animal pictures, even if they were not named after food. So I thought I'd share a little pet savor serendipity with you. Oh, yes. I have a pet snake named AJ. Oh, yeah. And my sister is afraid of him because she doesn't like snakes in general. Side note, we are both adults and don't live together, but we live within easy visiting distance. But she hasn't been to visit since I got (laughs) AJ. Oh, no. A few weeks back, she sent me a picture she had found online of a snake in a sweater and said that she'd be less scared of AJ if he was wearing a sweater. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I thought the holiday season would be a good time to knit him a Christmas sweater, so I made one with a red and white stripe so he'd look like a candy cane. Candy canes and snakes are both long and thin, right? Absolutely. Your episode on candy canes came up right as I was finishing the sweater, so I listened to the episode while I coaxed AJ into the sweater for a photo shoot. I don't think he liked it very much, but I've attached some photos so you can judge for yourself. They're amazing, adorable. Oh. That is so wonderful. That is that is the best because snakes are so chilly and they just <laughs> yes. want to be cozy and warm. Yes. And a holiday, festive holiday sweater attire. Festive holiday snakes are even better than other snakes, and I really love snakes. So I do too. I would love to know if the if your sister was oh, swayed yeah. by this sweater. Yeah. Update us. Yes, Let us please know. Please do. Uh Haley wrote, I'm writing from the beer-loving Hippie Hick, Missoula, Montana. Animal Crackers was my most recent listen, and I love that you mentioned rotary dyes and their importance to production. I work in a vitamin and supplement factory. We blend and mix the ingredients by the barrel, put them into tablet or capsule form. I'm a level one tab press operator. Then package them to be sent to nationwide stores and even Korea and Taiwan. On old, whirring tab presses, we make a chewable teddy bear-shaped vitamin for children. Think a classic Flintstones variety. The bears look similar to gummy bears and are made with rotary dyes. These have a lot of issues. The powder is sensitive to humidity changes and are sweet, so are more likely to caramelize. When the dyes get gunk in them, the product has picking, kind of like a Play-Doh mold with lots of hardened pieces on it that produces a less detailed image. What's the first detail we lose? The butt. When running teddy bears, we are constantly inspecting the bear booties to make sure the dyes are clean. Imagine people in white hazmat suits, bunny suits, um, asking supervisors in lab coats to check the little tushies under a big lit-up magnifying glass to ensure that no flat-assed bears leave the facility. (laughs) I would expect the production floor at any animal cracker company to be equally frustrated about the oddly shaped animals. Anyway, thanks for expanding both my knowledge and curiosity about food. I love to listen when I cook, and I have whispered yeast poo under my breath at many a brewery. So have we. <laughs> oh, yes. I love that. I've never really thought about 
people in hazmat suits. Like, having <laughs> to inspect the butts of little yeah. vitamin bears. Yeah. Thank you for all the work you do. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, we would love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.